Welcome to the Mountain Park Church Podcast. We're excited to share this week's message with you. Our mission is to allow God to work in and through us, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has been working in or through you. Email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in and through you. So um, we're in this series called This Is Us, and, and I mentioned in the first week, it's not related to the show. I've never actually even seen the show, uh, mostly because I heard that you just cry when you watch it, and so I struggle enough with that uh, on my own. I don't need a TV show to prompt me to do that. But uh, we're talking about um, our DNA and our culture as a church, and we've talked about having um, the, the, the first and largest priority of our church is to pursue the presence of Jesus and um, we are setting ourselves on a trajectory and, a, and a charting a course to hang everything on that hook that we believe that it's actually the presence, the manifest presence of Jesus in our life that brings transformation. Um, it's not the Bible itself that can bring you transformation. It's actually the person, the actual person of Jesus Christ that can bring you transformation and that our hope as a church is to learn how to walk closely with him into his presence and allow his life to change our life. And so we've talked about that. You can go listen to uh, those um, online on our website or on our podcast on iTunes. But um, second to that, we really believe that God is calling us together as a church to learn how to and to teach you how to walk in spiritual authority in your own life. Um, we just believe that, and, and I believe so deeply and so firmly that um, we live in a biblically illiterate society, so we don't know what the Bible says anymore, so we can't apply what the Bible says to our lives anymore. So because of that, we don't understand our standing supernaturally, we don't understand that actually through the name of Jesus and what he did for us, we're not just orphans, we're actually sons and daughters who have a right and a privilege to stand in authority in his name. And so as a church, we believe that spiritual growth, that maturity, I'm gonna mention this in a minute, but that maturity is linked to our understanding of spiritual authority. I've called... Uh, today's message, I've called it, I'm dead to me. And I was thinking as I was reading through uh, this scripture and this passage we're going to talk about in Acts 12, uh, so often in our lives, it's easy for us to say that we're going to we're going to lay down these things around us. We're going to lay down our lives for Jesus. We make these big claims and these boastful statements about ourselves. But it's really difficult to say that I'm willing to die to my own self. I'm willing to allow the fullness of what happened on the cross to kill what was old so that what's new can be raised up. And so today, this message is called, I'm dead to me. Because spiritual growth and spiritual life and spiritual maturity begin at that point. 
my hypothesis for today is that spiritual maturity is measured in depth of surrender. Spiritual maturity is not measured in Bible knowledge. Spiritual maturity is not measured in how many Sundays of the year you attend church. Spiritual maturity is not measured in how many of the commandments of the Bible you think you try and follow. Spiritual maturity is measured and has a direct correlation to the depth of surrender that you walk in in your life. We're going to see that in Peter's life today. So if you want to turn with me, you can turn to the New Testament in the book of Acts chapter 12. We talked a little bit about this, but I actually want to give you a bit more context. I'm going to start in verse 6. That's our key text for the day is verse 6. Acts 12 verse 6 says, now when Herod was about to bring him out, he's talking about Peter, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door, and before the door, they were guarding the prison. Let's just pray. Jesus, as we unpack your word, we just invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and be the one that brings understanding and revelation. I surrender my understanding to you and my mind to you. I surrender my thoughts and all of my preparation. I just give it over to you, and we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would be the one that brings leadership in this moment, that you would bring revelation. We honor you, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we talked about the fact that this chapter, chapter 12, is uh, for Luke, the writer of Acts, this is a whole chapter that's in brackets. It's in parentheses, and this whole chapter is a chapter where he's saying kind of in the meantime, and I don't know about you, but I really believe that the greatest show that was ever on TV, the greatest show ever on TV uh, was airing during the the mid to late 80s, I don't know about the early 90s, and it was a show um, that captivated me as a young guy. The greatest show on TV was named The Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> yes, and if you're under 36, you have no idea what I just said, but trust me, you Google it, YouTube it, there's clips, Bo and Luke will change your life in so many ways. But that show, what I loved about that show is that show was built around this premise of narration and the narrator had this beautiful southern accented voice and I can just hear it in my head right now. And as he would, as the the episodes would unfold, he'd walk you through what was happening in this show. And oftentimes, what would happen would be the General Lee, right, that 1969 Dodge Charger, right, the beautiful car, one of the best cars ever. It'd be racing down some dirt road going 100 miles an hour, kicking up dirt and fishtailing, and then the two um, brothers would hit a jump, and then they'd freeze frame with the car in midair and just this beautiful flight. And as as a youngster, I'd watch it and be like, wow. That is incredible. That is amazing. And then while that car was in the freeze frame, the narrator would come in and he'd say, meanwhile, back at the farm, (laughs) right? Or he'd say, in the meantime, old Daisy Duke, 
right? And he'd segue into these other moments. And this show, every episode, was this battle between these two boys who were a bit of a, a troublemaking duel, but really meant good, and the sheriff, Roscoe P. Coltrane, right? And so the show would, would pause and freeze frame on these epic moments, which would give the narrator time to say, in the meantime, while that was happening, while they're plummeting through the air, this other stuff is going on. And in the same way, this is what Luke is saying. He's, he's freezed framed us with Peter in jail. He's freezed framed on this scene with Peter sleeping, bound with two guards on either side, a chain on either wrist, impossible for him to jailbreak this situation, impossible for him to get out. And so Luke is freezed framed here. And he said, in the meantime, this is what's happening. And this whole chapter, this whole chapter is a description and a picture of the contrast between the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God. This whole chapter, chapter 12, is that freeze frame where Luke says, look, I need you to understand something here. The way the kingdom of God works is different than what you're used to. The way the kingdom of God works may seem backwards on the outside, but it actually has more power and authority. And so Luke, the writer, not the brother of the General Lee driving brothers. So Luke, I just confused myself. <laughs> Luke Duke, this is not Luke Duke we're talking about, as nice as he is. Um, this is the writer, he lived a long time ago. Um, so Luke freezes the frame and he says there's some important things that you need to understand about what's going on. Because from an external perspective, the world will say that certain things are necessary for growth and certain things are necessary for authority and happiness and control. Certain things are necessary in your life. And what Luke is saying is he's saying, stop, freeze the frame because what you see going on around you will trick you. There's actually a different kingdom and a new principle that Jesus has ushered in. And so when he freezes the frame, he starts in chapter 12, verse 1, with Herod. And this is Herod the king. He's the grandson of the Herod that we read about when Jesus is born. So his grandfather is the one who ordered the slaughter of every Jewish baby under the age of two when Jesus was born. This is Herod the king whose father beheaded John the Baptist. This is who he is. And, and Luke is beginning to establish this contrasting picture, this, this picture of this man, Herod. I don't know if you knew this, but he was actually half Jew, half Gentile. His grandmother was a Jewish princess of royal descent, but his grandfather was not Jewish. And this man, Herod, grew up in this family that was used to exerting power and control through external force, was used to asserting its dominion and authority over its world and its family. This is the environment that Herod grew up in. But this Herod we're talking about was a little bit different than his grandfather or his father. See, he wasn't 
wired with that natural tendency for evil and destruction. They actually say that he was a good man. And actually what Herod was trying to do was, he was trying to gain the approval and acceptance of the Jewish nation and culture. More than anything in his life, Herod wanted to be recognized as a full-fledged Jew. So in doing that, he had himself circumcised in accordance with the Jewish law. In doing that, he observed all of the Jewish religious festivals. He observed all of the commandments of Moses. He did his best from an external standpoint to live up to everything he felt he needed to be recognized and accepted as being fully Jewish. And so he surrounded himself and in his life with this need for approval. His life was governed by the desire to be loved and liked. His life was governed by this desire to express his identity externally. And so that's Herod. And Luke continues on and says, there's a a contrast we're about to make. The frame is frozen on this moment. Says that Herod and scholars and historians believe this was stepping out of what would have been normal practice for himself. He laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. This is verse one, verse two. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. That means he cut off his head. And when he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. So Herod, being driven by what's happening externally, being driven by external affirmation of his life, wanting to fit in, arrests Peter. And then in this freeze-frame moment, the writer says, this was during the days of unleavened bread. I just want to stop there for a minute. Because Luke is layering on things. He's he's actually saying, okay, now that we have the frame is frozen, the car is in the air, I want to explain to you what's happening around. And I want to show you the contrast of kingdoms that's happening. But I also want to show you and bring your mind to something else. I believe that Luke mentioned it was the days of unleavened bread for a very specific reason. And we often wouldn't, we wouldn't really understand what that is, but that was actually the week of Passover. There were two events that were kind of lumped together. There was the Passover celebration for the Jewish nation. That was the celebration of their exodus out of Egypt, how God mightily delivered them from the hands of their enemies. That was the Passover. And then for the week after that, it was the celebration and festival of unleavened bread. And what that meant was that it was a celebration linked to God's deliverance in their nation history and in their nation's story. And what's really interesting is I I really believe that Luke is bringing this up because he wants to, while we have the frame frozen there, he wants to bring us back to the most important celebration of unleavened bread that's ever happened in history. And that was the week that Jesus was led to the cross. He died on the cross and gave his life as a ransom for all of us. 
That was Passover week. And in mentioning that this was the week of unleavened bread, Luke is bringing us back to this moment. And he's about to set up this powerful and beautiful contrast of the way that Peter was 44 years earlier and the way that Peter is now as he's freeze-framed in jail asleep beside two guards. So I want to bring you back there for a moment. If you want to turn with me to John chapter 13, it's a few, it's one book back. John chapter 13, verse 3. So now we're 44 years in the past, all right? So we've had that in the meantime moment. Let me fill you in on everything that's taken place. We're 44 years in the past. John 13, verse 3. So Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. I just want to stop there for a minute. John is establishing what's about to happen with two important realities. If you want to take notes, I encourage you to do this. The first reality is John points out that Jesus understood who was in control. Jesus understood with the events that were about to take place who was really in control of everything that was happening on the earth. The second thing Jesus understood was who he was. The Bible says that he understood that God was in control and that he was the son of God. So Jesus' identity is firmly rooted. There's no wavering. He knows who he is and he knows who's in control. In that context, I want to continue on. Verse 4. Jesus rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet to wipe them with the towel that wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter. Okay, we're freeze-framing here. Peter's in jail right now, in the present, but we're looking back to the past. Luke is bringing us back to this moment. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. The role of the foot washer in Roman and Jewish culture of the day, that was the lowest of the low roles of servanthood. You were a servant. If you were a servant, things were bad. If you were the foot washer, you were literally at the bottom of the totem pole. And in this moment, Luke is contrasting us. He's reminding us that, that Peter didn't used to be the guy who would sleep the night before his execution in chains. He used to be the guy that wouldn't accept the humility and servanthood even of Jesus. That Peter used to be a guy who actually thought that position and power and authority were exercised externally. Peter used to be a guy who was driven by his own pride in how he looked and how others saw him. Peter's life, as we read it in this story, as Jesus is meeting in the upper room with the disciples, his life is still marked 
by a desire for pride and a desire for external affirmation in his life. I want to jump with you ahead to John 13, 36. We're going to see what else Peter is dealing with in his life as we talk about what it means to walk in spiritual maturity. We have to understand what Peter actually went through in his own life. Verse 36. So this is later in this, uh, this scene. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Question mark. Truly I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. So not only is Peter driven by what is externally around him and wanting the pride of position and wanting the affection of other people and the approval of other people around me, him, he's also driven by a desire to control the outcomes of his life. Peter is driven still to have his hand fully on the steering wheel, saying, God, I'm in control of this situation. I know I'm strong enough to die for you. God, I've got this handled. I've got this covered. I, I trust in you, but, but you can count on me. You can count on me, Jesus, in this moment. And Jesus goes, you don't even get it, Peter. You can't control what happens tomorrow. So why do you boast about how strong you are or how confident you are? Why do you boast in those things when they will actually crumble underneath you? And so Peter, we see as these stories are unfolding, this contrast of this man asleep the night before his execution, chained on both sides, sleeping. And we see Luke contrasting that with this Peter who thought that even though he had God in his life, he still could control his own life and he could still control the outcomes of his life. And something we're going to see was the setup for a massive change in Peter's life. I want to continue on to John 18, a few chapters over. We're still in this whole um, weekend, this week-long celebration of the Festival of Unleavened Bread, the, the most sacred festival in Jewish culture at the time. John 18, 10, 11. Then Simon Peter, okay, so let me just give you a bit of context if you don't know. So um, they finished dinner in the upper room. Jesus has gone down. One of his disciples, Judas, has betrayed him, and he's led a cohort of Roman soldiers into the garden where he knows Jesus will be. And so Jesus is walking through this garden with his disciples, and then Judas, his betrayer, comes to meet him with this whole Roman guard with him, and they have this confrontation, and they want to arrest Jesus. Jesus willfully walks into their custody, and then Peter does this. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus, in case you wanted to know. So Jesus said to Peter, I, I don't know if that was just so they'd feel bad for Malchus or, you know. <laughs> um, 
So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup of the fa- that the Father has given me? So not only is Peter struggling with his pride and the appearance that he wants to project in his life, he's struggling to hand over control in his life and to trust God with tomorrow. And he's struggling to understand how it is that when the world says to act out and to lash out and to be aggressive and to exert your strength and to exert your force onto somebody else, how can that be a bad thing? And so Peter in this moment grabs a sword, cuts off somebody's ear as if to say, I've got this covered, Jesus. Don't worry. I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to use the force and the skill that I have in the natural to help you accomplish what you want to in the supernatural. And we live, guys, we live in a culture right now that believes that the force of shaming and the force of accusation and the force of of mob pressure mentality is what's required to move the needle in the right direction. And it can be so easy as Christians and as a church to to jump into that mob and, and to begin to exert ourselves through what we say online, what we post on social media to to join the mob and say, we're not going to stand for this. We want justice and we want all of these things. And that was Peter in this moment. God, I'm not going to stand for this. I'm going to stand up for you. I'm not going to let this happen to you. I'm not going to let this happen to the church. Everything that we've built our lives around for the last three years, I'm going to stand up. I'm going to give him a piece of my mind and the edge of my sword. And somehow, as Luke is contrasting this Peter in prison asleep and this man who's grabbing somebody else's sword to inflict pain and hurt on someone else that is innocently a part of this story, Luke is drawing us a contrast here. Peter has spent three years at this point with Jesus. He's got the understanding that he needs. He's actually been taught by Jesus. He knows better intellectually. He knows his way around the Bible. He knows what to do, but he's still acting in a way that's contrary. There's a lack of maturity in Peter's life. So we come back to this scene. The car is still mid-flight. By the way, the cars never land, right? That was so disappointing to me when I learned that if a car jumped off a jump like that, it would be destroyed. Like literally the front end would go into the dirt. I was so disappointed. I don't know why I just mentioned that, but I just had to get that off my chest. (laughs) So here the car is in mid-flight and Luke is saying, what you have to understand is that there's a principle of two kingdoms. And spiritual maturity is not found through external practice or external affirmation or external this and that. Spiritual maturity is not found through what you don't do. It's not found through not drinking alcohol. It's not found through doing your devotions every day. It's not found through only watching certain movies. That's not spiritual maturity, Luke is saying. It's not found in the external. 
Spiritual maturity starts inside and works its way out. We're going to see this. I want you to turn with me to John 21. Keep this view of Peter in mind. This man who's sleeping the night before, he's about to have his head cut off. Impossible for him to escape. After Peter has denied Jesus, he's utterly failed. He's utterly failed. Everything he said, all the boastful claims he made about how strong he was and how good he was and how loyal he was and all of that, he utterly failed. His life is a disaster at this point. He denies Jesus to a servant girl. Just think about that for a minute. This man who was projecting such strength and authority, when push comes to shove, he crumbles in the face of a few innocent questions. When that servant girl questioned him, Peter did not yet understand that his identity was rooted in Jesus, not in his own external work. And he did not yet understand that authority and strength come through surrender, not force. And so we're going to pick this up. Jesus has risen from the dead now at this point. He's meeting his disciples, and he's about to have a conversation with Peter. This is how it goes down. John chapter 21. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus cooked them breakfast. Jesus said to Peter, so he points him out, goes right to the jugular with Peter. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than this other stuff in your life? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Peter is a little bit He's a little bit offended here at this point. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. At this point, Peter's probably internally just processing a mountain of shame and disappointment and regret. His mind is going back to that courtyard where he denied Jesus. He's going to all of his failures. He's going to everything that he screwed up at in life. He's going to all of his deficiencies. He's going there. And at this point in our lives, I know mine, at this point, this is where I get offended. This is where I take offense at what's being implied. And I, and I go, Jesus, you know what? I, I, I can't even handle this anymore. You know me. You know that I, I didn't mean to do that. And then, then this is where I stand up and I walk out of the conversation and I say, I'm done. I'm hurt. I'm hurt in this moment, Jesus. I'm hurt that you would question me. You know that I love you. I'm hurt that you would ask me the same question over and over when you know my heart. I'm hurt, Jesus. And this is so often where our spiritual maturity is stunted because we walk in offense. We're offended by what other people say to us. We're offended by what the church has done to us. We're offended. We're offended. We're offended. We live in a culture of offense. You can't walk across the road without offending somebody. Or something, I just violated the crosswalk rules. I don't know what. 
but we, we live in this culture of offense. And Peter, by God's grace, doesn't eject himself from the conversation. He doesn't walk out, throw his arms up and say, I'm out of here. I don't need this in my life. He sits at the feet of Jesus and he receives what Jesus needs to bring him, which is a full breaking of his heart. So Jesus, a third time, says, do you love me? Peter was grieved, it says. And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. God, you know I didn't mean to do it. God, you know that I'm struggling right now, but I I don't know what to do. God, you know all of this stuff. You know that I love you. And this is what Jesus said. This is the game-changing moment for Peter. Jesus said, feed my sheep. And then he says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. When you were young, you were in control of your life. When you were young, you called the shots. When you were young, you did whatever you thought was necessary. When you were young, you used all of your gifting and all of your intellect and all of your insight. You used everything at your disposal when you were young to direct your own life. But when you're old, when you understand what spiritual maturity is, Peter, when you understand what walking in spiritual authority actually means, this is what it means, Peter. You will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This, he said, to show him what kind of death he was to glorify God with. Jesus is saying, now, Peter, you're at the place. You've allowed me to actually do some heart surgery. You've laid down that external stuff. You've laid down your need for approval. You've laid down your trust in religious practice. Because you were a master Bible sword driller when you were in junior high doesn't mean that you know how to follow me, Peter. It doesn't mean it. But now that you've laid down this, I want to show you what maturity means. Maturity is measured in depth of surrender. And maturity is exercised in obedience to what I say happens in your life. Maturity is measured in depth of surrender, not in knowledge, not in the supernatural, not in any of that. It's measured from an internal place at your depth of surrender. And maturity is exercise through obedience to what Jesus is leading you to do. I was terrified to come at the end of worship and invite people if they wanted to receive Christ. I actually had this conversation right there. God, I don't want to do it. What if nobody, what if they reject me? What if I look bad? What if the way things look on the outside makes me feel unshamed or uncomfortable. And in that moment, he reminded me what I was preaching on, and so then the conversation ended. (laughs) But 
but uh, it's funny how God does that. Worship team, you guys can come up. But Peter, here's the contrast. We go from 44 years earlier, Peter, the man who thought he knew best, had a big mouth and he knew how to use it, wanted to assert the kingdom of God through force in people's lives, wanted to do great things for God that made him look good, that gained him the approval of his friends and the people around him. This Peter now, 44 years later, is sleeping between two guards chained right and left wrist awaiting his execution. How in the world does he sleep when he's about to die? How in the world does he remain in a place of peace and not be filled with fear and anxiety and terror? How in the world is he not trying to cut deals on the side with the cards to get him out? How in the world does this happen? And it happens because of what happened on the beach that morning. When Peter was willing to look himself in the face and in the mirror and accept that Jesus, when he comes to restore our lives and our heart, he comes to break us. But not so that we can remain broken, but so that he can rebuild us into something more powerful. Stronger, but strength, not through exertion, but through submission. Peace that doesn't come from control. Peace that comes from letting go and trusting God. You don't have peace today because you're still trying to control everything around you in your life. You don't have peace because you're playing whack-a-mole with everything that's going on in your life. And by the time you hit one thing down, the next one pops up. You don't have peace because you're not trusting Jesus. And so surrender and maturity begins with humility on the beach to say, Jesus, I'm willing to hear and receive from you whatever it is you need to teach me or do in my life. Jesus, I've tried the other stuff. I've tried living by the rules. I've tried to, to show you how important I am through my religious devotion to you. Jesus, I've gone to church my whole life. Jesus, I got awards in Sunday school. Jesus, I've done this, and Jesus, I've done that. And Peter says, fine. I'm willing to be identified with you because of who you are, not because of what I've done. And Jesus, my life, I want it to be marked by your control and authority, not by my own desire. And so in that moment on the beach, Peter was relinquishing his right to control his future. He was humbling himself and releasing control of tomorrow. And friends, if you want to begin to walk in spiritual authority, if you want to walk in peace, if you want to dive deeper into spiritual maturity, that's where it begins, by humbling yourself, allowing Jesus to do in your heart what only he can do. And by opening your hands and saying, I'm releasing you control of tomorrow. Jesus, whatever you want from me, 
I'm done trying to control the outcomes of my life. I'm done trying to manipulate the circumstances around me so they work to my favor. I'm done trying to manipulate business decisions and I'm done trying to manipulate my family and I'm I'm done trying to orchestrate this life that looks perfect on the outside but is falling apart on the inside. Jesus, I'm letting it go. And I'm giving you control. Jesus says spiritual maturity is measured in depth of surrender and it's exercised. It comes to fruition in obedience. History tells us that Peter didn't die that next morning. We read that last week. God miraculously breaks him out of jail. But this is the point. Peter was content with whatever outcome. See, Peter knew and understood that even if he was chained on this earth and he lost his life, that the chains of death have already been broken by Jesus. The chains of death and eternal punishment have already been broken by Jesus. So you can take my head and you can imprison me. All of this stuff can happen to me. But, but either way, I'm alive in Christ. Either way, I have hope. Either way, I have joy. Either way, I have peace. It doesn't matter what's happening around me. And Luke is saying, look, in this moment, there's two different kingdoms vying for control here. And this chapter opens with Peter in jail James dead, and Herod triumphant. Luke closes the chapter with Herod dead, Peter free, and the word of God exploding across the earth. And Luke is saying, look, you can do this one of two ways. You can keep trying it on your own. You can keep resisting and fighting and pushing back. Or you can allow God to break you to do the surgery he needs to. And you can release control to him and trust him with tomorrow. Let's stand. This week when I was preparing, I was uh, seasoning a beautiful sirloin roast. (laughs) It was awesome. I was in the kitchen by myself and I, man, I don't know about those people who say there won't be meat in heaven. I, I don't know. I, I really just feel like if there's going to be no sorrow, then there's going to be prime rib and steak there. If, if I get to the first meal in heaven and there's vegetables on the plate, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I'm just telling you. So anyway, I'm prepping this meat in the kitchen. And I'm prepping this meet, and I just feel the Holy Spirit. I'm sensing him say this. This year, 2018, as a church, God gave us a prophetic word for it last fall, and that was breakthrough. We did a whole series on it, and this year we believed that Jesus was saying this is a year of breakthrough. But I, as I was in the kitchen prepping this meet, I felt the Holy Spirit say, look, there's some of you who want the through without the break. There's some of you who want to get on with your life and receive the blessing without the breaking. There's some of you who want to move on to strength and maturity, but you want to do it by bypassing the breaking. And I just felt like God sent me here today to tell you that you don't get to the through without the break. 
If you actually want freedom in your life, if you want deliverance in your life, if you want healing, it comes through breaking, not through avoiding. And there's some of you who have been living in the breaking and you're wondering, when is it going to end, God? When do I get to the through part? And I just feel like God is just saying to you today that as you trust me and let go, allow me to do what I need to do. Allow me on the beach to fully, fully break your heart and your life. The more that you do that, the quicker we'll get to the through. But you're still holding on. You've still got a pinky finger wrapped around certain parts of your life. You're, you're, you've gone through half of the breaking, but, but the other part is terrifying you. And the Holy Spirit is saying, you can trust me because I love you. My plans for you are not to harm you, but to give you a full life. And as we end out this year of breakthrough, I want to challenge you, church. The maturity doesn't come through external exercise. It comes through breaking and submission to God. I'm going to die to myself. I'm going to die to myself. Jesus, take my life and let it be. Take my life, Jesus. That's how you get to the freeze frame of Peter sitting in a jail cell, fully trusting God. Doesn't matter what tomorrow brings. My head could be on the ground apart from my body, but that doesn't mean that I've lost and that doesn't mean the enemy's won. And in your life today, we have an opportunity as we leave here to leave here inviting God to not just bring the blessing and the good stuff, but to bring the breaking, which leads to power and authority. It's no coincidence that from that moment, God used Peter between the beach and the jail cell. God used Peter as the leader of their disciples in early Acts. Then he used Peter as the first leader of the church in early Acts. Then he used Peter as the first leader of the nation in early Acts. And in chapter 10, he uses Peter to break through the enemy lines, bringing the gospel to the whole world. But that didn't start there. It started on the beach. And if you want to have spiritual authority and power and effectiveness, it begins on the beach. And it begins with surrendering your heart and your life. Let's pray together. Jesus, we surrender to you today. And I don't know what you're doing, Holy Spirit, in everyone's hearts right now. But I ask that you would just clearly point out in your grace and in your mercy, identify any area that they are holding control in, that they are withholding from you, that they are... Um, a reserving from you in fear or apprehension, any area of anxiety that's actually controlling their decision-making, that's holding them hostage in the name of Jesus, we just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would go in and that you would begin to break those bonds in Jesus' name, that you would begin to supernaturally bring breakthrough, bring healing and bring restoration Jesus, I just ask that um, as we 
even just sing this last chorus of this song, that you would bring breakthrough and healing in people's lives. Father, I just pray for physical healing. Father, I ask for spiritual and emotional healing now in the name of Jesus. I just pray for breakthrough. Jesus, I pray that we would understand that spiritual growth and maturity comes through surrender and it's exercised through obedience. So give us the obedience we need today in the name of Jesus to walk out what you're calling us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you heard today and that you're willing to allow God to work in and through your life in bigger ways this week. We'd love to stay connected with you on social media, facebook.com slash mountainparkchurch and instagram.com slash mountainparkchurch. Finally, if you have a story of how God has been working in and through you, we'd love to hear it. Just email us at mystory@mp.church at and tell us how God has been working in your life lately.